Thank you for listening to the Proclaim Church Sermon Podcast. Proclaim's mission is to make Jesus known through gospel-centered worship, community, and mission. For regular meeting times, more information about our beliefs, or other information, check us out at proclaimkc.org. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You may be seated. Long time ago, Augustine wrote, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You know, as we wrap up a month of diving into this first uh, chapter or so, this introduction of Genesis, we've seen God create everything and create man, especially in his own image. Uh, We've seen uh, the creator give humanity responsibility in his creation. We've seen him provide for him what he needed. He provided food. He made them male and female. Both those are important aspects of creation that are necessary for human flourishing. But today we look at something else which may be just as necessary for human flourishing, even if we don't totally realize it, and that is Sabbath rest. The idea that rest is necessary is an area where actually modern research really aligns with the ancient text of Scripture. I didn't have to do very much digging to find multiple articles, scientific journals, that reported the need for rest. Not just sleeping, not just, you know, a good six or eight hours a night, but the need for people to actually turn off work, to shut it down, to turn it off, And that that actually made those people more productive and healthier the rest of the week. And the base idea is there. It may not be uh, applied in those journals in the same way that Scripture does. But, but the basic idea is there that, that somehow wired in us into our design, into who we are as human beings, is this need for rest. And then again, we don't really need to do a bunch of research To figure that out, do we? We just need to live life. We know that it's necessary. This year has reminded us of the need that we have, if we've forgotten, every once in a while to turn things off. But even if we agree that we need rest, our idea of rest is typically far off from what God uh, has for us and what God, how God has designed it. We like to take a vacation or a getaway, but we, if we're honest with ourselves, we can't turn it off very well. We get back, we find that all the things that were troubles before our vacation or our getaway have just piled up even more in our absence. And now we've got to deal with all those things. We try and try for more emotional, uh, we try these emotional and mental forms of what I call pseudo-rest, right? 
There's some examples. Maybe, maybe you're into the pseudo-rest of escapism. I call it the blind eye rest, right? We shut ourselves down to others. Uh, we shut ourselves down to the situations that are around us. We tell ourselves that if we don't have to deal with them or with that, then they can't hurt us. They can't bother us. They can't cause us anxiety and pressure or whatever. The problem is, is it still does. They still, people still do hurt us, and those situations still do cause anxiety. Or, or we dull our senses completely to anything, and we just don't feel good or bad. Or there's the pseudo-rest of defeatism that's kind of the, the whatever rest, if you will. This is where we just decide that everything is a disaster. It's all a disaster anyways, whatever. It is what it is. It's like one of my favorite phrases to say that I probably shouldn't say all the time. It is what it is. We give in to this cynicism completely and we just act like, oh, I don't care. But see, that doesn't work because we do care. That's the reality. We're only lying to ourselves in those moments. And then we have uh, the pseudo-rest of perfectionism. This is what I call the anti-rest rest, right? It's where we tell ourselves that we can only trust ourselves, we can only trust these specific people, or, or we can only trust that this, this other thing that we want, that, that, that's the thing that's going to satisfy us. And if we could just do it a little bit better, if, if we could just get the right things in alignment, if we could just get that thing, then we would have rest. So we just need to work a little bit more. We just need to work a little bit harder, and then we'll finally arrive there. Problem is we never arrive, do we? And if we do arrive at those things, it turns out that they don't satisfy. We fail to experience the rest God intends for us because we'd rather do our own thing. We'd rather find our own kind of rest than submit to God's thing. If we've heard of Sabbath, we've only heard it reduced to a list of do's and don'ts rather than the blessing of following our Creator's example and pursuing Him. We ignore Sabbath because we're already mad that we can't eat Chick-fil-A for lunch today. And we're afraid that someone's going to tell us we can't take the boat out, you know? And so we turn Sabbath off. Sabbath is a major theme. It's a major theme, guys, that runs throughout all of Scripture. We see it from beginning to end. We can't ignore it because God has wired it in to the whole deal. And this morning, I want to travel from Genesis 2, verses 1 and 3, and we're going to travel past Moses in the wilderness. We're going to travel through Jesus, and we're going to get all the way to Revelation. So just hold on to your horses because we are going to be citing Scripture from about like six or seven books of the Bible. So we're going to be all over the place but I hope that this is helpful to you. And we're going to look at it in five different movements. We're going to look at Sabbath and creation. We're going to look at Sabbath in Israel. We're going to look at Sabbath in Jesus. We're going to look at Sabbath and the church. And we're going to look at Sabbath and eternity. Five different movements that is how we're going to break it down this morning. And so I'll humbly admit that my time this morning, the time that I have allotted for this message, as well as the time that I had in order to study for this uh, sermon, um, will only allow us to, to do just a primer on this subject. But I hope, I hope that you're awestruck by, first, the cohesiveness of God's Word and the wonder of how He 
and his Holy Spirit has woven all of this together. And I also hope that it helps you to find rest in Christ. Ultimately, ultimately what I hope is that it helps you to find rest in Christ as you turn to him. So let's start where it starts in Sabbath and creation and turn with me. Maybe you're already there in Genesis 2, 1. It says this, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. So God completed all of his creative work at the end of the sixth day. And the order, he ordered all of the heavens and the earth, and he filled, it says, all the host of them. So the heavens are filled with stars. The earth is filled with vegetation and animals and now mankind. And it says, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. On the seventh day in which God was done with all this work, he rested. Now, the word Sabbath isn't actually in this passage as a noun. We say, oh, it's the Sabbath. That, that particular word as a noun is not in this passage. Rather, this word rested comes, uh, is a verb that comes from the same root that we get the noun Sabbath in Hebrew. It's only later, as we're going to see in a second, that they look back, the scripture looks back at Genesis 2, 1 through 3 and relates Sabbath to these three verses. But the word rested is not meant here in the way that we often conceive of it today. It's not meant in this idea of remedying exhaustion or living in mere idleness. Rather, it actually means to cease, to cease working. God ceased working. And, and it carries with it this idea of an enjoyment of accomplishment and celebration of the completion of something. And so when God rests, he's enjoying all that he has accomplished. He's celebrating that the work is done. Like when you've labored on a house project, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, You've labored on a house project and it's probably taken longer than it should have. It's certainly taken longer than your wife would have liked to have it taken, right? And you finally get it done and you step back. And whether outwardly you celebrate or not, inwardly you have this deep sense of accomplishment. There it is. It's done. I did it. It's finished. I can enjoy this. Verse 3 says, so God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Note in these three verses the repetitiveness. It's to give emphasis to what happened and, and to the importance of it. It says God rested from all his work. God rested from all his work. God rested from all his work. And verse 3 brings in this new element into the equation. It says that God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. The idea of, of being holy is this idea that God set it apart. It's different than the others. For six days, God created, and he called it good, and it was beautiful, and it was wonderful what happened on those six days. But on the seventh day, the seventh day wasn't just good. The seventh day, God said, is blessed. It's holy. This day is special. This day is different. It's not blessed because of some quality in and of itself. I want you to understand this. When the Bible calls something holy, 
something, when he calls something earthly, holy, it's not because of some quality in and of itself. It's blessed because God, who is in and of himself holy, declared it to be so, made it holy. God set it, the Holy One set it apart as different from the others. Understand that, that throughout Scripture, this is the way it is. Anything that's described as holy is only holy because it was chosen by God to be holy. And it continues to be holy as it's presented to God in the way that he has prescribed it to be presented. That's how holiness works throughout Scripture. A day is a day on earth because the earth rotates on its axis and it takes 24 hours. And a, a month or a year, I mean, is a year because that's how long it takes for the earth to orbit around the sun. But a week is a week, friends, because God said it was so. Because God decided today I rest. One last Important observation here. For six days, each day ends with this phrase, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day, and there was evening and morning, and the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. But what do you find at the end of the seventh day? It does not say that. It doesn't say this day is finished. Why? Remember, we had talked about all that was happening here is setting up God's kingdom, that it was God's people in God's place under God's rule. And here we find that, that that kingdom is set and God's rest here is a kingly rest and it was not meant to end. The day was not supposed to end. Yet, man sins, right? We'll find in a couple of chapters in a few weeks that man sins in Genesis 3. And this theme of Sabbath is left off for a while until after Abraham's descendants become a multitude in the nation of Egypt, just as God promised to him. But rather than rest, if you know the story, what they're given there is slavery and so God sends Moses to take them, the people of Israel, God's people, to the promised land, which is pictured in Scripture as this new rest for God's people, this new Genesis 2, 1 through 3. And so we're going to pick up in the wilderness where this theme of Sabbath picks up in Exodus 16. And we're going to call this next progression Sabbath and, and Israel. And it's not been three months since Israel has left miraculously by God's power, been ushered out of Egypt, and they're, they're on their way to the promised land, walking through the wilderness. And it's not been three months, and they start complaining that they're hungry. We're so hungry. Why didn't we just stay in Egypt, they say? At least there we could have died with our bellies full. And I don't imagine Pharaoh was promising them much rest. But God responds, and, and he's merciful, and he sends them manna from heaven each day, and they're to gather just enough for that day. Anything extra will go bad the next day. Just gather just enough for that day and trust God that the next day there'll be enough for that day, and the next day there'll be enough for that day, except on the sixth day they're to gather enough for two days. And here's what it says in Exodus 16, 23 and 26. It says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath. 
here God comes back to this idea that the seventh day is this Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to to be kept till the morning. In other words, make your food for the Sabbath on the day before. Don't make it on the day of the Sabbath, just rest. Six days you will gather, it says, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. God ain't working on the seventh day and you shouldn't either. He's not sending the manna. For the first time, this seventh day is called Sabbath. God declares it to be so. And this day is a gift to the people. And we think, well, God's not providing for them on the seventh day. Well, he is. Just because he's not sending the manna doesn't mean he's not providing for them. It's a gift for them. It's a gift for them to rest. To show them that God is king, to show them that they can trust in his sovereign power, that he will take care of them, but they don't trust. Look at the very next verse, verse 27. It says, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. People can't even trust for one week, even the first week, that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. God's people feel the need to work in the space that God gives them for rest. They think that they need to go out for their own benefit to do this. Pay attention, guys. Pay attention to this because the issue isn't merely that they worked. It isn't merely that they went out to gather manna, but that work displayed hearts that were not trusting in God and in his word. That's the point. God says, rest and I will provide for you. But they're so worried about their stomachs that they get up and work anyways. And so in verse 28, it says this, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. It's a gift for you. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Man, I've provided for you enough for two days on the sixth day. Why do you got to get up and work? I'm going to take care of you. And so he says, remain each of you in, this pl- in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. You see, God moves this command beyond even provision for their daily food to their progress towards the promised land, right? On the seventh day, don't get up, don't get out, don't move your tent, don't take one step towards the promised land rest. I will get you there. You don't need the seventh day with me. I will get you there. God is saying to them, obey me, Obey me and see how I will provide for you. Listen to me and see how I will take care of you. Do what I say, even if it doesn't make sense in your head, and see that I won't come through for you. But they fail. Man, they fail. You and I fail, right, at this all the time. How often do I go out and I try to do it on my own? And I fail to have rest. And it's interesting, the very next chapter, chapter 17 of Exodus, they immediately begin to complain, this time not about their food, but about water. God, God won't provide enough water for us. We're thirsty. God just showed up and provided food for them, but oh, we're going to die of thirst now. 
And in consequence of that, what we'll see is that God will not allow that generation to enter that promised land rest at all. You continue to refuse to trust me, I will not allow you to enter that rest. Eventually, the people will make it there. Joshua 21, 44 says, The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Eventually, the next generation makes it into the promised land, and they, they, the, their enemies disperse before them because of God's power. And it says that God gives them rest on every side. The Sabbath in this new land extends not just to the seventh day, But interestingly, they were to give the land rest in the seventh year. Six years, they were to sow their crops in their fields. On the seventh year, they were to give the land rest because God said, I will provide enough food for you, not only in the sixth year, but also for the seventh year and also for planting in the next year. They were to forgive all the debts that that were outstanding in every seventh year. People with student loans, wouldn't you love that? Every seventh year, poof. Good, you could just barely get college done, right? And in the seventh times, seventh year, the 49th or the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, they called it, they were to return all the land to the original families. When they, when they came into the promised land, God divided the land up among the tribes and amongst the families. And in this, this 50th year, twice a century, they were to return all the land to the original owners. A total reset. Though Sabbath was woven into the life of God's people in every single way, future generations would just disobey it. Years later, David would warn the people in Psalm 95. He would say, today, if you hear his voice, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and as on the day of Massa in the wilderness. That's, that's references to Exodus 17 where they, would, where they said, right after God gave them the manna, they said, oh, we're, now we're going to die of thirst. When your fathers put me to the test, God says, and put me to to the proof, though they had seen my work, though God had provided for them the first day, the sixth day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the sixth day, the first day, every, every day, every day he had provided for them over and over. They came out of their tents and manna was laying on the ground. They still were like, God has abandoned us. I say that mockingly, but the reality is, is I probably would have done the exact same thing. Psalm 95 says, for 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. See, even though they were in the promised land at that moment. Even though they were in the promised land when David wrote Psalm 95, the promised land was just an outward expression of a deeper reality of rest in God that some of the people of Israel, even in that moment, were still abandoning. What David is saying is there are those among you people of Israel who are like that generation who God did not allow to come into this land, who are not finding rest in God. It's not about this promised land. It's about finding our rest in God. As as Augustine rightly said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Friends, whatever you're pursuing, whatever you're after, whatever you're trying to do in your own power, you will not find rest. Rest. 
all the days of your life until you find that rest in Jesus Christ. The work of our hands, friends, is an outgrowth of our hearts. And these people, they would harden their hearts and trust themselves instead of God, and God would exile them from the land. That's what eventually happens. They continue to do this. They continue to forsake the Sabbath. They continue to trust in themselves instead of trusting in God, and God exiles them out of the promised land. He rips them from their homes, exiles them, and brings in a foreign people to live in the cities they built. If you will not in your hearts find rest in me, then you will not find rest in the physical place that I have designated. How many of us do the same thing? You see, our lives are filled with stress and anxiety as we constantly worry about tomorrow and today and yesterday and the next day and the year after. Our wilderness looks different than the people of Israel. It may not be, what will I eat or what will I drink? But we have our own things that we worry about, am I right? And rather than resting in God and trusting in his provision in those areas, we go out looking for food where we ought not to look. We go out looking and insisting that we do it in our our own way, in our own power, and by ourselves. Almost always a heart that isn't resting in God's promise or in God is manifested in hands that are willing to disobey God's commands in order to get what they believe is their land of promise. Friends, listen. Almost always, a heart that is not resting in God is willing to go out and do what you want in your own way, disobeying God in order to try to get for yourself what you believe is your land of promise, but it is not. And you will not be satisfied when you go out to get it in disobedience to God. You may suit your needs for a moment, It may be sweet in the mouth, but it will be bitter in your stomach. Resting in God, friends, isn't laziness. Learning to trust God and hand over these anxieties is rarely detached from real life situations that are incredibly difficult. Real pressures. The Israelites, friends, the Israelites really were wandering in a wilderness. Man, I tell you what, last weekend we got to go, Justin and I got to go and we, we got to walk through the Lost Creek Wilderness, right? It's a wilderness area. You go, you go into the mountains, you lose cell phone service, and then you lose paved roads, and then you lose roads altogether, and then you lose sight of any kind of civilization. It's in the middle of nowhere. As, as isolated as I've ever been in my life, if something happened, we kept, Justin kept joking about, well, you know, hey, if you, if you break your leg, I've got a tourniquet. I'm like, dude, that's not helping. I'm going to die out here. I got, I got a, a little elevation sickness on Saturday night, and I just felt worthless for a couple of hours. I mean, I couldn't eat. My pounding headache, migraine, I mean, just, just felt worthless. And, and all I wanted in the world was to just be home in that moment, right? And it's like, you know, what do I, what do I trust? Do I trust in my wife to take care of me? Yeah, most of the time. (laughs) And these Israelites, they were in a wilderness, and it wasn't like, oh, hey, we can hike for a couple of hours, and then we'll get to the car, and we can drive home. No, they were in the middle of nowhere, and they had no home to go to at all. 
Their pressures and their real life situations were incredibly difficult and God still called them to trust him. Friends, it's not outside of your pressures and your difficulties and your wilderness that you have in your life. And you do, you have a wilderness. It's in them that we have to learn to find rest. It's in those difficulties. It's in that wilderness that God shows up and we learn he will provide manna. He will provide water. He will get us to where we're going. God will. We can rest in him. But how do we know we can trust? How do we know we can trust? Fast forward a few hundred years, Jesus comes. I want to look at Jesus and the Sabbath. You see, what you need to understand is between Moses, when Moses stands on Mount Sinai and he declares the Ten Commandments and he says, uh, keep the Sabbath holy, in between then and Jesus, the Pharisees come along and they add all of these extra rules to the Sabbath, all these extra things just to make sure that you're obeying the Sabbath correctly that aren't actually in Scripture. Rather than having hearts that are pursuing God and His rest and His holiness, they've built walls around the Sabbath that make it possible for them to obey His commandments without actually trusting in Him. You see that? They've spiritualized their work. Now their work isn't about their food or whatever. It's about me making myself good enough in the sight of God on my own power. But that's not, that's not possible. It's the very opposite of God's intended purpose for Sabbath. And so we see in both Matthew 12 and Mark 2, Jesus and the Pharisees have this enormous clash over the Sabbath. The short version is this. Jesus' disciples are walking along and they're hungry and it's the Sabbath and they reach out and they pick heads of grain off and they eat it. It'd be like if you were walking through this orchard and you just reached out and you plucked an apple because you were hungry and you just took a bite of it and you started eating and you just kept walking and you're eating the, the apple. And the Pharisees call Jesus out and they say, man, that's breaking the Sabbath. They gathered food on the Sabbath. And Jesus responds in this way. He says, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence in comparison to reaching out and grabbing heads of grain, eating the bread that was to be an offering in the temple that, that to God would have been way worse. But, but David did it, which, which is not lawful, Jesus says, for any but the priests to eat and also he gave it to those who were with him. You see, the same David who wrote Psalm 95, who said, don't harden your hearts. The same David did this. And Jesus continues, friends, the Sabbath, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In the Matthew account, it adds Jesus quoting Hosea. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice you would not have condemned the guiltless. Can you imagine Jesus saying, no, no, no. I decide what's guilty and what's not. And Jesus putting himself in the place of God, rightly. You see, Jesus' point is this. God didn't create the Sabbath to be a thing that man served, but rather that the, servant, that the Sabbath would be a blessing to man in their keeping of it. It's not 
however, saying that obeying the law isn't necessary or isn't good or, or doesn't matter. That's not what Jesus is saying. You see, whereas our issue is very few around us obey the Sabbath, obeying the Sabbath for, for them in Jesus' day to the Pharisees and the, to his disciples was so commonplace and so rigid that it had lost all meaning. Jesus is trying to, to draw them back to the why of Sabbath. God's commands are not merely slavish rules. They are God's loving, merciful kindness to his people. And yes, it, they are hard sometimes to follow because we have to trust God, not trust ourselves. But they are a mercy and a kindness to us that if we followed them, that they would actually benefit us and would actually benefit the world. That we, as humans, actually function better when we take a Sabbath. Jesus finishes, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus' intent isn't to get rid of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of it. It, it, the whole point of Sabbath from Genesis 2, 1 through 3 is to point to him. Look, the writer of Hebrews, he finishes this picture for us. In Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, starting in verse 7, he, it says, it, we see Hebrews quoting that passage from Psalm 95. The writer of Hebrews quotes it. And he says in verse 16, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Who were those who said, God won't provide for us the water and whom God said, this generation does not trust me. They will not enter the promised land. It was the people, it was those who were part of the people of God that were never allowed to enter the promised land. Listen, this is so, this is so incredibly important for us. There are those today who participate in some degree with the church, with the people of God. They come to corporate worship. They talk about God. Maybe they even read their Bibles. Maybe they even participate in the Christian Sabbath, and yet their hearts are hard, and they do not trust God. They do not obey Him. And they do not and they will not experience the rest of Christ. Friends, what I'm saying is there are those among us who participate in church. They are not saved. That's what Hebrews 3 is telling us. That just as those people were part of the people of God and yet they were disallowed from the promised land because they did not actually trust God, that there are those among you who will participate in, in Christian things, but yet their hearts are not for God, they are hardened, and they are not saved. And friends, that ought to sober us, both for ourselves and for our friends among us. That ought to give us pause that ought to just bring us to our knees in prayer, that ought to cause us to actually reflect on our lives in meaningful ways. Are you trusting in God or are you trusting in yourself? Because on that day, when you stand before the creator of the universe, when you stand before Jesus Christ, and he asks you, 
if this is how it works out, I don't know how it works, but if he asks you why you get to come in here, if the answer is anything but Jesus and Jesus alone, you will not enter his rest. So chapter four of Hebrews starts, therefore, because of that, because of that reality, because that is true, here's what you ought to do. So friends, if that is you in this moment and you're going, man, I don't know. I don't think, perhaps I don't trust God. Perhaps I'm not, I've been coming, but, but maybe I'm not where I ought to be. My heart is not actually resting in Christ. It says, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, friends, there is hope. The promise still stands. Let us Fear lest in, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it, friends. For good news came to us just as to them. Guys, this is the gospel. The promise still stands. There is still rest. The rest of Genesis 2, the rest of the promised land, the rest David talks about, all of those rests, they belong to Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. And Colossians says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance, the substance belongs to Christ. Hebrews 4, 2, but the message that, that they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have in, believed enter that rest, friends. It's not, it's not because those people were wandering in the wilderness with the rest of the people of God that they were saved. It's by faith. And just because you come to church today, just because you do Christian things, that does not make you saved. It's faith in Jesus Christ alone, the Lord of the Sabbath. That is how you find rest. Even for the Israelites, it wasn't about some biological descendants from Abraham. It wasn't about physical presence in a land. It was about faith in God. That's what brought them rest. And so it is for us. Friends, you can enter that rest today as well. Verses eight and nine. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You see, here, here it is. There is not merely a practical shift in the Jewish Sabbath, which would have been on Saturday. It would have actually been on sundown, from sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday night, because that's how they viewed the days evening to morning, right? There's not just a practical shift from the Jewish Sabbath on Saturday to the Christian Sabbath on Sunday because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, though that is a reality. They did shift it there. But that shift actually points to a deeper meaning that Hebrews describes here. Whereas the Jewish Sabbath, they were to work six days and then on the seventh day, obey God's law and have rest. The Christian Sabbath reverses that order. Friends, stick with me for a second. It reverses that order because of Christ. It points to the reality that we start our week with rest. That Sunday, day one, is a day of rest. And then we go out for the next six days and we work. Why? Because Christ did the work for us. It is not my work for six days that earns my salvation. It's Christ's work on the cross. And because of Christ's work, now I go out the other six days out of gratitude for what he's done for me because I don't have to earn it and I work for him. That's the gospel, friends. Your work will get you nothing in the end. Christ's work for you gets you everything. 
We come to corporate worship every Sabbath, this first day, to be reminded again and again and again and again of what Christ has done for us in the gospel. Because if you're anything like me, you find yourself suddenly starting to try to do it on your own. Man, I can't even make it to Wednesday before starting to try to do it on my own again. Right? I need, I need a corporate word. I need, I need this like every single day to remind myself. To celebrate. We get to come together to celebrate and to enjoy the work that God has done in us and in his kingdom. That we don't have to earn his favor to receive rest, but that we, that we have God's favor through what Christ has already done. And we're sent from here. We are sent every Sunday at 11 o'clock to go out into God's word into world and to do his work. All our work, proclaiming the gospel, serving others for Christ's sake. What you do from 8 to 5 on Sunday morning, that is a work for Christ. Bottom line, guys, is this. God's image bearers, you and me, are blessed to practice his Sabbath rest. That we are blessed is what you need to understand. That the Sabbath is not a, oh, I have to do this. The Sabbath is a, I get to do this. And so what should all this mean? Well, here we get into our application in what I call Sabbath in the church. See, over the centuries, there's been a number of different views from people who are what we would call strict Sabbatarians who don't do any kind of work still on the Sabbath and believe that it's purely for spiritual edification and, and there's no physical, no temporal uh, 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 or no physical work is to be done. And then we have people who are, who, who on, the, are on the other side to say it's, it's all completely the spiritual rest in Christ and there's no temporal or physical expression of it. And so we've got this wide spectrum in Christianity of how do we practice Sabbath? We all believe that it's something, but how do we practice it? And friends, I believe that there's room for discussion among believers in the application of this. And I want to give grace to our differences here that may exist. Neither do I want to cause a brother to stumble who feels led by the Spirit to be more strict in how they follow the Sabbath. Nor do I want to judge a brother who feels as if he has more freedom on a Sunday to do more things. Church, I don't want us to miss the heart of the Sabbath because the heart is for you. It is to bless you. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was for man. Each Christian, I believe, must examine their heart in these things and determine what their intentions are in what they're doing on a Sunday. You need to ask yourself, are you within the bounds of Scripture here, recognizing that there may be some gray area in that? You need to ask yourself, am I trusting in God here or am I trusting in myself? You need to ask yourself, is is your focus turning to God on the Sabbath or is it turning to something else? You need to ask yourself, are you obeying a spirit-led conscience or are you obeying your sinful desires? You need to ask yourself those questions honestly and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. With that in mind, I believe that there are two major applications we can take from this. The first is this. The first is that we are truly created and designed to have a day of rest from work. There is built into us from Genesis 2 a physical, a real design feature from God that we are to have a day of rest once a week. 
whether you are a believer or not, I believe that if God, God has designed you this way and that you would benefit from it. And I challenge you, even if you're not a Christian, try it. Try it for six months and, and tell me that you haven't been more productive in that six months than you were before. Try it for six months and tell me that you aren't actually more healthy than you were beforehand. For me, I spend a lot of time uh, during my work week thinking and reading, sitting in front of a computer. And so for me, sometimes my best Sabbath is getting out and just doing some yard work, something where my mind can turn off for a minute and I can just do this thing. For some of you, you may be very physically involved in, in your work for six days or for five days or for whatever. And just on a side note, note that the Bible doesn't say that two, a two-day weekend is guaranteed to you. Henry Ford said that, uh, not Jesus. So, I mean, just whatever. Do with that what you want. But you may, you may work with your hands a bunch and maybe resting physically and reading on that day or, or relaxing and doing uh, spending time with your family and in conversation might be the best thing for you. Church, church, for us specifically, there's another layer to this. We must ask ourselves, if God gave me my job and if I'm doing it for the Lord and not for man or even for myself, then do I trust him that I can take this day off and he will provide for me? I don't need to work seven days a week to succeed at, at work in a way that glorifies God or to have security to have enough money to feel like I'm secure or to have all the things that I want to buy. I don't, need to, I don't need to work seven days a week to do that. God will provide for me in six. There's another application here. Some Christians believe that the Sabbath is fulfilled in our participation in corporate worship. Others believe it's separate. Still others believe that it's only a part of the Christian Sabbath. Wherever one lands, I believe that it's getting at the heart of something that the Sabbath ought to include, and that is taking time to rightly celebrate and to enjoy God's provision in the work that we are able to accomplish, that we actually stop and we celebrate and we enjoy and we thank God one day a week for what he has enabled us to do for the other six, and we prepare ourselves for the next six days, that we turn our eyes to our creator, trusting in him for both our temporal and our eternal needs. And friends, I believe that corporate worship is meant to help us to do just those things. Those things go beyond corporate worship. But the Bible tells us that corporate worship is an essential ingredient in doing that, to pause and to reflect as a corp corporately, as a body, as a, as a community, to reflect on the past week, to prepare for the next, to be reminded by each other of, of the gospel and Christ's work for us. Ultimately, it's for us to stop and center our lives back on the gospel. Because friends, if you're anything like me, from Monday to Saturday, my life starts to get off a of center, right? All the things that happen. And I will say here, that there are some people in occupations of what we would call necessity and mercy that require them to sometimes or regularly work on Sundays. There are nurses, firefighters among us who are on work, work rotating schedules that makes that unavoidable. And friends, when my house is on fire on a Sunday, I'm really glad they're at work, right? 
And just as Jesus said, hey, Pharisees, you pull your mule out of a hole on a Sunday because else it'll die. And I healed this man's hand on a Sunday or else he would stay lame. It's the same difference. We have to understand the heart of what the Sabbath is. So for the person who works on Sunday, I'd ask you this. Friend, if you don't believe that God has led you to that job, would you consider looking for a different job? Even, even if the pay isn't as good, even if you don't like the job as much, to make a Sabbath possible. I think that, you, you may think, well, that just seems like a really hard question to ask. No, I think that's a legitimate question to ask. I think that this is that important. If you believe that God's called you to that job, and, 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 if, and if you're called to be a firefighter or a police officer or, or a nurse or any of these jobs where you are serving people for, for their good, I thank you for doing that, and, and I'm glad that God has led you to that job. And I pray that you would do it as well as you possibly can. But if that's you, I, I would ask you this. Are, are there shifts that you can take, even if it's not as good of a shift? that makes it possible for you to be here, for you to have a Sabbath as well as you can? Are you taking a day somewhere else in the week and actually resting, or are you just filling that with other shifts? I've answered those two questions, and I'd ask you one more. If that is not an option, if it's not an option for you to shift your, your, your work schedule to make it possible, then are you eager to participate with believers in the ways that you can? What I'm getting at here is, is your heart for these things? We live in uncertain times, friends. This is more evident now than it's ever been before in any time in my life anyways. And yet we can't have, we can have rest even in the midst of this uncertainty because, our last, because of our last Sabbath movement, Sabbath and eternity, and this will be short. You see, while we have rest in Christ from our need to perfectly obey the law in order to be saved from God's wrath, Hebrews clearly states that there is still a rest that awaits for God's people in the same way that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness and eventually Joshua led them to the promised land. Friends, we are wandering in a wilderness and one day Jesus will usher us into a permanent promised land. We are wandering in a wilderness of pain and sickness and hate and anger and all sorts of things and death. And one day Jesus will usher us into a permanent promised land. Look at what Revelation 21 says, how it describes it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first time, or for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's us, friends. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Friends, the rest that we end enter into. Now, through Christ, will one day be fully realized in the new heavens and the new earth, and we will have permanent rest, not just to sit back in our lazy boy, but to celebrate the work of Christ on our behalf and for the world. That is the Sabbath rest that awaits us. Let's pray.